Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Thanks to be to God for his word to us. It's good to see you and be together again this morning as we gather to worship God and open our hearts to his word. If you were here last week, you know that we began a... Uh, a very quick breeze through of the book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible, where we see God at work in the midst of generations. Here at Bethany, we connect and serve so that generations discover and experience the transforming love of God. We know it's essential for us to be at work among generations because God is working through generations. We gather as generations so we can hear from each other and learn from each other and serve together. We know that God is a God of generations, the God who cares about the very youngest and the very oldest and everyone in between. And as we look at the testimony of Scripture, we see that, yes, God's faithfulness endures from generation to generation, and sometimes God's plans and God's timing actually take generations to unfold. This is what we see in the book of Genesis. It's what we began to look at together last week. We see that one of the Bible's clearest early messages is that God's timing is not necessarily human timing. Last Sunday, we heard the promises of God to an older married couple named Abraham and Sarah. The Lord had said to Abram, later renamed by God Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So we heard that promise from God, and we saw that it actually took 25 years for the very first hint of fulfillment of this promise to come to fruition. When Abraham and Sarah finally, finally had their first child, God had promised that he would make a mighty nation from this family, beginning with this couple. But it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old that their firstborn child arrived. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. So Abraham and Sarah had been wondering for decades, well, how's this going to work? We've heard this promise from God, but how in the world is this actually going to unfold? Abraham had been wondering whether his estate would go to his household servant rather than to his own son. Or maybe he wondered God would fulfill his promise of making a great nation out of him by working through a son that Abraham had had through his wife's servant. But every time God repeated the promise, he said, no, this will be a child that comes from you and Sarah. It would be this child who would signal the unfolding fulfillment of God's promise. God's promise of countless descendants, more than the stars of heaven, promise of making a mighty people from this couple who would bless all the nations of heaven and earth. 
And so this child, Isaac, began to grow up. And if we look at the story in Genesis, things start to look pretty good, pretty promising. But then we encounter this story from Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So as we did last week, uh, this morning we'll be looking at quite a bit of scripture. One thing I find particularly true of the book of Genesis is that the stories tell the story. These stories kind of teach us all we need to know about God and God's plans, especially as they unfold from generation to generation. And in this story from Genesis 22, we see God providing in so many ways. First, we see that God continues to keep open and clear communications with Abraham, his chosen servant. He speaks clearly to Abraham. There's no guesswork about what it is that God is wanting from him or expecting of him. And I think we can recognize that as a gift. I'm sure there are times we would love to have such clear and open and unmistakable communication from God because it's not always easy for us to understand what God might be saying to us. We'd love to have this kind of clarity from God that Abraham seemed to have consistently. But I imagine on that day, Abraham was really hoping that he wasn't hearing right. He wasn't hearing that God could possibly be asking him to take this long-awaited promised son 
and sacrifice him in the fire of a flaming altar. What in the world was God up to? Why would God ask that this child of the fulfilled promise be offered up as a human sacrifice? I can only imagine what Abraham was wondering and how distraught he was. What would become of God's promise? What would become of his beloved son? And why was God asking for a human sacrifice when that was the practice of the Canaanite peoples who God promised to drive out of the land, promised to Abraham and his family? Now, we know, as we're introduced to this passage in Genesis, that that this is a test from God. But in that moment, Abraham could not possibly understand all that was going on. It's hard to fathom exactly what he was processing and what he was thinking. But the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews explains it this way. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So God provided in the desert. He provided clear communication. But God also provided deliverance and relief on the mountain. An angel of the Lord stays Abraham's hand just as he is about to strike his son with the knife. And as Abraham looks up, he sees another of God's provisions, this ram with its horns caught in a thicket. This ram, this promised, provided lamb of God that hints at God's plan for the redemption of everyone through the gift of his one and only beloved son. This is the burnt offering that Abraham had told Isaac the Lord would provide. And I think it's important that we notice another one of God's provisions in this story as well. Because we see that God provided Abraham with a very faith-stretching lesson, an opportunity to grow in his faith. The angel of the Lord tells Abraham, Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, Now, we don't know exactly what's going on in God's mind, but we can surmise that if we believe in God's omniscience, that he would have known what Abraham would do. But imagine what Abraham learned from this episode. Because now, not only does God know how much Abraham fears and loves and obeys God, Abraham himself knows as well. Abraham gets to see the extent and depth of his own faith his trust in God, and gets to see because of it the amazing provision and faithfulness of God. Abraham now knows just how much he fears and trusts and obeys this God whose promises he has been clinging to for decades. This testing of Abraham's faith solidified in his mind and in his heart the reliably faithful provision of God. Genesis twenty two fourteen says that Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. 
And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And then think about the impression this day must have made had on Isaac. What a crazy day for him. He witnessed his father's, I'm sure it seemed like fanatical faith, but he got to see that his father would hold back nothing from the God he chose to follow. And Isaac got to see firsthand God's provision and rescue as well. And as Genesis continues to unfold, we see this thread of God's faithfulness and provision continue to be woven through story after story, through generation after generation. Here we see this handing of the baton from Abraham now to Isaac. As in Genesis 24, we read that Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am, among whom I am living, but that you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant said, then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. 
Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring and two gold bracelets. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my father's relatives. And the account goes on to describe how Rebekah came and told her brother Laban and the rest of her family about this man who had mysteriously appeared, about what had happened. She showed them the jewelry. And Laban rushed out to invite this servant in and to offer care for his animals. And Abraham's servant says, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age. And she has given him, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But go to my father's family, into my own clan, and get a wife for my son. And the servant describes how he had asked the Lord for a sign and how Rebekah had come and met the expectations of that sign exactly. Then I put the, nose in her, the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me on the right road, to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness, faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah, take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. The story goes on to show how the servant returns to Abraham with Rebecca, tells the story of his amazing success and God's provision and Rebecca and Isaac get married. Now, as we hear this story unfold, it's probably not the kind of uh, courtship story we're used to these days. In fact, there's a lot going on here culturally that may seem uh, strange, unusual, sexist. We're not sure maybe what to make of it, but we have to recognize that as the story is presented in the context of Genesis, uh, this is all presented as not only natural, but as signs of God's faithfulness and provision. And Rebecca seems to understand this too. 
She hears the story of what had happened and she is asked, well, what do you think? Will you go? And she's all in because she sees the blessing and opportunity in the hand of God at work. And this story, as I said, may feel foreign, may feel far removed from our reality. But I think if we reflect on Isaac's story, we can relate a bit to him. Maybe not so much in the story of being laid on a pile of firewood, but I think there are other elements of the story that we can relate to. And maybe it has to do more with this story of waiting to see what God will do when something is beyond his control. We see that Isaac actually has no role in what Abraham's up to, sending this servant back to his family's household and said, find a wife for my son. Isaac's got no part in this. Isaac doesn't get to choose his own destiny, doesn't get to pick his wife. And I know that although we don't come from a culture typically of arranged marriages, there are times we find ourselves sitting back, stepping back, and saying, God, this is, this is out of our control. Something's happening here. The things are, that are happening are in your hands, and if something good is going to come out of it, you need to act. And we find ourselves waiting. We can relate to not being able to pick and choose what our destiny will hold. There are times we need to step back and wait and see what is God up to? What will God provide? And there are plenty of times maybe when we're tempted to take on the role of this servant to ask God for a really clear sign. God, if it's your will, then I want this, this, and that to happen. And our signs usually don't involve water jars or camels, but some sort of equivalent. We'd say, God, give me a clear sign. And sometimes God seems to answer that way, and often it seems that God does not. But I think if we, rec- if we look at our lives, even though there may be moments that seem to be filled with silence from God, we can look at those episodes that point to our affinity with Isaac, that echo these stories from Genesis where we can say, yes, we had to wait on the faithfulness of God and God provided. God was faithful. And one of the reasons I'm so thrilled that we gather together across generations and as a community here at Bethany is we get to share those stories with one another because there may be moments when one person is in a period of silence or waiting when someone else can encourage them with a story of God's faithfulness in their own life. We share with each other stories of humility and awe, not to kind of one-up each other, not in a sense of, well, here's what God did for me, so I guess I'm his favorite. But we can say, here's what God did for me, and I think you can trust him to be reliable as well. So as we continue to watch the story of God's faithfulness unfold from generation to generation over the pages of Genesis, may we remember that we worship and follow the same God, this God of Abraham and Sarah, this God of Isaac and Rebekah. It's the same God who keeps his promises, who provides all that we truly need. And as we wait for his promises and provision to unfold, to be revealed in our own lives, in our own time, 
May God strengthen our faith, deepen our patience, renew our love and obedience to him. Would you join me in prayer? Loving God who keeps the promises you make, who provides all we truly need, we do praise you today. God, we thank you for your word, the Bible that gives us story after story, reminding us, convincing us of your faithfulness. And God, as we look at these pages, we see deeply flawed people and we're reminded of ourselves. And we're reminded that you are faithful because of who you are, not because of who we are. God, thank you for choosing to love us. Keep our eyes on you. Keep us open-handed when you ask us to release things and keep us open-handed when you have things to pour into our lives. We ask all this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.